Wow, everybody. Hey, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here with us. I want to say a big hello to everyone worshiping with us in our main auditorium. I also want to say hello to everyone worshiping with us out in North Platte. Merry Christmas to you guys. Um, and all of those that are worshiping with us down in the venue. So l- listen, let me ask this like practical question today. How many of you guys are excited to be at church today? Is there anybody? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I have a new nickname for you like I did for the first service. And you know, or, you know, you know on a day like today when the temperatures are in the negative or they're zero or whatever it is, you're just not going to see everybody show up. So a new nickname for you are the Frozen Chosen. Turn to someone and say, welcome. Welcome Frozen Chosen, right? Frozen Chosen. Uh, that's who you guys are. You guys are the Frozen Chosen. Good job, guys. Wow. I'm so proud of you for, you know, getting out there and uh, making it through the cold weather. Uh, man. It's an honor to have you worshiping with us today. So I also need to say a big hello to all of you that decided not to get out of your house, but you're worshiping with us online. And I know there's quite a few of you, so I'm saying hi to you right now. God bless you guys. I love you. I'm, I really am glad we have that resource for, uh, for moments just like this, as well as I know there's a number of people that are checking our church out right now that have yet to come through our doors, and you're worshiping with us online, and I want to say welcome to you. Hey, you guys came at the, uh, at the middle of a, of a three-part teaching series that we've entitled, very creatively, by the way, I would mention, right? Christ-centered Christmas. Uh, it's very, very original, uh, but yet it's very meaningful. So I'm being facetious about the original part, but I'm super serious about the meaningful piece. And if you would go to mynewlifechurch.com and, and uh, click on our Christmas link, you could actually get to some of the traditions that people are now beginning to post on our website. And I want to say thank you to all of you that have already done that. We've encouraged our congregation, and I'm reminding you again today, go to our website, mynewlifechurch.com, and find our tradition, Christmas traditions area, and then write what you do, submit what you do um, to to our website. Let us know, what do you guys do to keep Christ at the center of your Christmas? And I'm going to encourage you, please go there and read some of the things that some of our families in our church do. They're fantastic. They really are fantastic. We've got a great church, and we've got some people with some incredible ideas about how to keep Christ at the center. And that's what I want to help you do right now. I want to help you do that. And so, in getting started, what I need you to do is I want you to think about the brand of car that if you could keep buying a certain brand of car, what brand of car would you buy? Ford, right, Chevy, Honda, um, Porsche, Lamborghini, right? BMW. I'm getting more to mine. All right. I'm getting more to mine. So um, if you could pick a brand of car and keep buying that same car over and over again, I want you to yell out which brand of car you're most loyal to on three. Ready? Everywhere. North Platte in the venue. North Platte. Say it so loud we can hear you in Carney. Okay. Are you ready? On three. Yell it out. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. You guys, I don't know if you could pick out anything other than your own voice. Um, I did hear smart car. I did hear that. Um, and then after that, I heard this. Um, and so I like that car too. That's a really good one. It goes down the Autobahn really well. I can't pronounce it that great. But brand loyalty is important. Like companies want you to be loyal to them. I remember growing up in my home, 
my grandfather and my father, they were like Mopar guys. Now, for some of you, you're too young, right? You're too young to even know what the word Mopar is. Um, but my first car was a 1964 Mopar. It was a, it was a Plymouth Barracuda, right? At 16 years old. I'm talking eight cylinders. I mean, the whole thing. It, yeah, it was probably not smart for my dad to give me that car, but he did, and I thought it was kind of cool. So we grew up thinking Mopar was the only kind of car a person could own. Why would you ever own a GM car? And now you don't even see the word Mopar anymore. So anyways, I don't know who won on that whole ordeal. But Buick, as an example, they want you to be, you know, uh, more brand loyal. They want you to trust them more than you would trust, like, let's say, Toyota. Um, it's the same thing with all different industries, like United Airlines. They want you to trust flying with them more than you would trust flying with Delta. Or an Apple, the, the Apple company. They want you to trust them and their products more than you would trust Samsung and their products. Right? Because loyalty matters. And loyalty to a product really gets built out of trust. It's trust in the fact that you think that this item is going to last longer than another item. Or that this item has better quality to it. Um, and it's a better you know, purchase for your own money. So you trust that. Or you trust that the company is more reputable than another. Well, let me ask you now about your faith. How well do you trust your faith? See, at this time of the year of Christmas, it's a great opportunity to ask yourself, do I actually trust my faith? Right? I'm going to tell you today, your faith in Christianity must be trusted in a greater way today in 2016, getting ready to roll into 2017, than it's probably ever needed to be trusted. There's things and ideas and concepts that are constantly bombarding a Christ-centered lifestyle. There's all kinds of you know, myths and legends and you know, uh, misbeliefs even and documents that are written and scrolls that are you know, perceived to be uncovered and different things that have happened that they just keep trying to attack the heart, the center of a Christ-centered faith. And I'm not, a, I'm not even like scared of those things. But what I am scared of is Christians and churches that have no backbone to their faith. That concerns me. The attack that comes are the ideas that come from the outside in um, that keep bombarding it. Those are always going to come. It's the, the problem is when the heartbeat behind what we believe and why we believe it, if that's not there, then we've got some serious problems. So as an example, recently America was just surveyed, and we found out that 65% of Americans believe that the four crucial components of the Christmas story are actually true. If I even had to ask you, what are the four crucial components of the Christmas story, could you even identify them? Let me just tell you what they were, all right? Number one, the manger, that Jesus, that Jesus was laid in a manger. That's, that's the first cornerstone. Now, you might not understand why that's so important, but today's message, I'm going I'm to lay the foundation for you. The second one was that the, the shepherds had an angelic revelation, that angels showed up and spoke to the shepherds. That was the second one. The third one was that the wise men actually came. And then the fourth one is the, probably the most obvious one, is that Jesus is born of a virgin. Now those are the four crucial components of the Christmas encounter. 65% of Americans said, sure, I believe that. Yeah, I believe it. Now, I don't know about you, that kind of surprised me, number one, that they believed it. And as I kind of started to think about it, I, I thought to myself, okay, I could see that. I could see Americans answering questions going, sure, I believe that. Yeah. Uh, but do they know why they believe it? Do you even know why? Do you know why it's so important to believe that Jesus was laid, was laid in a manger? 
Or have you just always kind of just overlooked it? Like, it's just part of the, the, the nativity scene. Like, why does it really matter? Or that the shepherds were, you know, were, uh, were told the story by angels. Why does that even matter other than the fact that angels showed up? Or why does it even matter that the wise men came? Why, what's so important about wise men coming? I mean, and then the most obvious one is, and I think this is where we kind of come to a consensus for most Christians, is that it's really important that Jesus was born of a virgin, right? But so there's 35% of Americans that they don't believe those things happened, and there's 65% that believe it, but I'm not sure they know why they believe it. So today's message is all built around giving you the backbone so that you can trust in the Christmas story more this year than you ever have before. So it's not just a day that comes and it goes. It's not just another holiday that rolls around every 12 months. So I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to want some paper, right? Because I'm going to, I'm going to give you some serious stuff about, about Christmas. In fact, I'm going to lay out the case, the case for why you should trust Christmas more than you've ever trusted in this. That it should move from trusting in the Christmas encounter, from trusting in even in a Christmas story. This isn't just a story. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't just something that has happened to make its way into the Bible. Now, if you don't have paper to write it down, please go back to mynewlifechurch.com right after this service, and you'll be able to watch this sermon in our on-demand area. So please, you're going to make, make your way there. Why is it so important? Well, first off, it's this reason, that the Bible is 100% true or it's 100% fake, and there is no middle ground. Contrary to popular belief, you don't, get to, you don't get to choose which scriptures you're going to believe and which ones you're not going to believe. You don't get the choice with God's word, at least, to pick which stories are true and which stories are not true. Second Timothy says this about this concept. It says that all scripture, say that with me, all scripture. All scripture is God-breathed, right? And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed, including including the encounter that happens at Christmas. So it takes faith and it takes trust. It takes faith and trust to, uh, you know, to, uh, to follow Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you right now, uh, to trust that all Scripture is God-breathed is faith and trust. It's always been that way. That's what God looks for in relationship with Him. And it's always going to be that way. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it puts it really plain and simple to us, short and sweet. For we live by what? believing and not by we live by faith and not by sight some other versions say this is the aspect the attitude this is the heartbeat of christianity it's by faith that we believe so it's one thing to say i believe it it's another thing to say i believe it and man my faith is rock solid to do that you have to know the why therefore the case of why you should trust christmas Puzzle piece number one is the, is the manger. The manger is used in Scripture to direct the shepherds to find Jesus. The angel shows up and says, you'll find him laying in a manger. The word manger is used three different times to talk about this Christmas encounter in the book of Luke. Three different times. The word manger basically describes a place where animals would come and they would find food. Therefore, the word manger literally means a feeding trough. It means a place to come and to eat. Now listen, if that's what a manger is, 
is a place where you, animals would come to eat. Jesus is laid in a manger. Believing that Jesus was born in a manger is significant. Why? Because God is literally telling humanity that Jesus is your food. And that Jesus is where you find life. It's not just a little part of a nativity scene. There is a very prophetic message that's being proclaimed to humanity. Jesus is the bread of life. Now Jesus even recognized that and said that about himself. Because Jesus is God. Jesus said these words in John chapter 6, starting in verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Now don't get freaked out about that. This isn't some weird vampire movie going on here. This isn't some script to some craziness. Jesus is not a lunatic. Jesus is not suggesting that you physically eat his body and drink his blood. That's crazy. Jesus was saying this. What you need to do is if you don't accept me standing here in physical form, if you don't surrender and allow me in physical form, Jesus who came to live a sinless life and to die on a cross, if you don't surrender to this, then you'll never have life. If you, if you don't come to a point of faith and believe that the very blood inside of me that's going to run down the cross is to cover your sins, and you need that because there is no other way to get to God, you're not going to have life. That's how, that's how Jesus came. Jesus came in a manger. The bread of life came laying in a feed trough for all of humanity. And without trusting in the Christmas encounter, Jesus is never going to be the bread of life for you. And I realize, I got it, this is really hard to swallow. And it was for those that were there at the time. And that wasn't just a good pun right there. It's hard to bring humor in at moments like this, I'm just telling you. It takes a lot of work, right, when you're talking about eat my flesh and drink my blood to bring any humor in, guys. So just appreciate that for a moment, will you? Let that soak in for a moment. It was hard for those people who heard that message. Verses later, in John 6, 66, just a few verses later, here's what people did after Jesus told them, I'm the bread of life. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and they deserted him. If you find it hard to accept that Jesus is the food for humanity, that he is the bread of life, the savior of the world who came to set us free and that he came in a manger. If you find that a little hard to wrap your head around, just know this, a lot of people did. Some even deserted him. My challenge to you today is not to desert him though, but allow the manger to be a powerful and prophetic symbol of life for you. Put it into your equation of why you should trust Christmas. But I'll continue the case. Puzzle piece number two. The shepherds, their angelic revelation. 
Can you imagine what it was like that day that Jesus was born and the shepherds are out in the fields in the night? You know, has struck and maybe it's cloudy and the moon's, you know, you know, the gleam of the moon isn't shining through completely and it's, it's dark and you, all you hear is the, the sheep and the lambs and they're making the noises that they would make and I'm not going to do that. All right, you can have them in your own head. All right. And all of a sudden the heavens open up and there is this angelic being that starts proclaiming to you that this powerful moment has taken place. And in fact, in that moment, this is what the angel said to the shepherds. In Luke, says this in Luke chapter 2, don't be afraid, I bring you good news, right? That will bring great joy to all people. The what? The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. The angels came to tell the shepherds this one powerful statement, the Savior of the world has come. What kind of a savior? The savior that was to set men free from their sins, right? The savior that was sent so that humanity could once again be connected with God. How? Because he was going to live a sinless life and he was going to give his life on the cross. He was going to be, watch, the sacrificial lamb. Why did the angels show up to shepherds? Why did the angels show up to like a, a women's group that was studying the Torah at the time? Why, why didn't the angels show up at a wedding, you know, where someone was having a feast and everything was happy and things were really going good? Why didn't the angels show up, you know, in the city square where, you know, hustle and bustle may have been going on? Why didn't the angels show up to a party someplace or to a club someplace? Or why did the angels show up outside the city to a bunch of shepherds? Could it be? That prophetically, the angels were making a statement. The very sheep that you're raising, which a lot of theologians and historians believe that those shepherds were raising and taking care of sheep that were going to be used in Jerusalem that was just a couple of miles away, a couple of miles north of Bethlehem, that those sheep were being raised so they could be sold, that they might be used in the temple to be slain in an Old Testament principle for the sins of humanity. And now an angel shows up to, a, to the shepherds. They understand what it means, that the Savior, they understand that what they raise gets slaughtered for the sins of humanity. And now they're being told that the Savior of the world has come and he's going to give his life. He is going to become the ultimate sacrifice. See, there's three powerful, life-altering reasons why you should believe in the shepherd's encounter. Three of them. And the first one is that the angels made their proclamation to the shepherds because Jesus was the ultimate sacrificial lamb. That's the first one. Maybe you've never tied that together before. But that's how Jesus came. Even, even John, John the Baptist recognized this years after Jesus' birth. The first time John saw him in John chapter 1, take a look at what he said. John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look, the what? The lamb of God. Who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. That's the first reason why you should believe that the angels show up to a bunch of shepherds. But that's not even it. That's not the end of it. The second reason why you should believe that is that the angels made their proclamation to the shepherds foretelling that Jesus would be the ultimate shepherd of humanity. 
Not only was Jesus going to be the sacrificial lamb, but he was also going to be the ultimate shepherd. And Jesus said this even about himself in John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the what? The good shepherd. And the good shepherd does what? Sacrifices his life for the who? For you and me. The second reason why angels show up to shepherds instead of anyone else is to prophetically proclaim that the good shepherd has arrived. The one who that if you put your complete trust in the Christmas encounter can be your provider and can be your protector. The shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus. The one who said, I speak and my sheep know my voice. And they get called out from the rest of the herd. But there's a third reason why you should believe this. And that's because the angels made their, their proclamation to the shepherds who were considered to be the lowest of common man, which was God's way of declaring to humanity, I've come for all. If you're here today and you feel like, man, how can God's grace ever reach me? Jesus was proclaimed to the shepherds, the lowliest of the low, so that all of humanity would realize Jesus came for everyone. And that the grace of God today is available for you. That if you're wrestling with faith in Christ today, you need to know you have not traveled so far that the grace and the love of God can't reach out and grab you right now. It's exactly who God is and what he wants to do. Puzzle piece number three, though, of the case of why you should trust Christmas. And the Christmas encounter is the wise men. The wise men considered to be some of the smartest men on the planet. They journeyed for months, if not years, to literally get to Jesus and then have to make the same journey all the way back home. They brought some of the most expensive gifts of their time, but you do realize that your classic nativity scene is wrong. They did not show up in the barn next to the manger where the baby Jesus was laying. They showed up later on, months and years later, when Jesus was a toddler. Can you imagine that? You are the wisest of the wise, carrying the richest of the richest kind of things, and you show up, where is Jesus? And he's a toddler running around. I don't know about you, but I have never really seen toddlers that I really wanted to be my leader. I've never seen a toddler that I went, wow, now that's a smart toddler. No, normally it's like a toddler, you're like, hey, kid, get your hands off that stuff, that's expensive. Or, hey, stop making fingerprints on my windows. Or, seriously, this is the fifth diaper of the day. Are you serious? Right? I mean, when you see a toddler, that's the way you see him. But the, the wise men came, and they came asking a question. And even when they saw the toddler, they realized he is what we've been looking for. Here's the question they came asking in Matthew chapter 2. They said this, where is the newborn king? That's the question. The wise men came looking for a king. When Mary was told she was going to have this baby, the angel told her that Jesus was going to be a coming king. Take a look at what the angel said in Luke chapter 1. The angel said, he will be very great, and he will be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne, kings sit, sit on thrones, of his ancestor David. That's an important statement to remember for later. And he will reign, kings reign, reign over Israel forever. His kingdom, a king has to have a kingdom kingdom will never end. Even, even Mary was told this. The, the 12 disciples, they thought that Jesus was going to have a literal kingship even in their lifetime. And then the Romans who crucified Jesus, when they crucified him, they hung a sign above him on the cross and they said, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. 
When the wise men came to worship Jesus, they were prophetically proclaiming the fact that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has come. Your king has arrived. Your king is here. He's here. And not only is he here now, but God was also proclaiming a kingdom that will come. Because one of the things that the angel said to Mary was that Jesus is going to sit on the, on the ancestral throne of David and rule as the king. Did Jesus do that in the time period that he was here on this earth? And the answer to that is no. He did not do that. When is that day coming? Well, you knew if I was going to build a case, man, I'm going to go all over the entire Bible. Take a look at what Revelations chapter 11 has to say. Then the seventh angel, he blew his trumpet. This is still to come in our own future. Blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. Right? What were they shouting? Read this with me. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, Jesus. And he will what? Reign forever and ever. There is a day still to come that God prophetically proclaims that Jesus Christ will one day for a thousand years reign on this earth and he will sit in Jerusalem at the ancestral throne of David. I'm telling you that when the wise men came to worship the, the, the toddler Jesus, they came prophetically proclaiming that you and me, we have a king. And his name is Jesus. And my encouragement to you is to let the king reign in your heart here on this earth because that's the first kingdom that he wants to rule. He wants to rule the kingdom of your heart. And that one day we will be part of his kingdom in the life to come where he sits on the throne and he reigns as king of kings and lord of lords. Powerful, powerful why the wise men came. But then last but not least, the fourth piece of the puzzle is the virgin birth. This is pivotal to our faith. Trusting that Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary will either allow Jesus to become God or he's just going to be another good prophet. So when you trust that Jesus was born of a virgin, you establish the deity of Jesus as God. So Jesus was born to Mary, right? Human, earth. And she gave him a human body. But Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit, which made him fully God. This Christmas, a week from today, you're going to be celebrating Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And I would encourage you to recapture the awe of Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, fully man, but yet fully God. I would encourage you to capture that. Another reason for it is that when when you trust that the virgin birth happened, you allow Jesus to be the sinless Savior. That's crucial. That's like a, a crux that all of Christianity stands on. That when you trust in the virgin birth of the Christmas encounter, that you allow Jesus to be the sinless Savior. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5 says about that. For God made Christ, who never sinned, right? That's important. To be the offering for our sin. So that, he could be made right with God through Christ. That's who Jesus is. And when you put your trust in the virgin birth, you're literally allowing Jesus to be the sinless Savior who now can pay the ultimate price. He can be the sacrificial lamb. He can become the king of kings and lord of lords. He can become the good shepherd in your life. 
But if you don't put your faith and your trust in the virgin birth, then Jesus never gets to become the sinless sacrifice that's laid down for your life and for mine. He never becomes the perfect sacrifice. See, today the big question is this. I can lay out whatever kind of case I can lay out. I can do the best job of trying to explain to you of why it's not just a Christmas story that shows up every 12 months, but it's an encounter with the living God. We should be thankful every 12 months we get to come back to these kinds of truths and, bet, and make it the bedrock of our faith. But when we just believe that they happened, but we don't know why they happened, we really lose some of the power and some of the awe behind it. I'm telling you there isn't anything that was accidentally done in God's word. Everything has purpose from a manger to some shepherds to some wise men. All of it has significant purpose. And the question for you today is, what are you going to do with it? Are you just going to sit there and go, mm, okay, not a bad message. It's okay. I mean, he's preached better ones. Or are you going to sit there and go, wow, holy cow, God, I had no idea. I had no idea that this was so profound and so powerful. So many years have been wasted just celebrating Christmas with my traditions. And we would read your story, but we never really connected all the dots. God, may I never waste another Christmas in the awe and in the wonder of the gift of Jesus that you sent us. In such the prophetic proclamation of Jesus being the bread of life to him being the good shepherd, to him being the lamb that was slain for us, to him being the king of kings and lord of lords in my heart, and the future king of kings and lord of lords to come. That is what it means to trust in Christmas. So what will your response be today? I encourage you to respond like Mary did. When Mary heard this crazy story from an angel, here's what she said. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you said about me come true. You know what Mary basically said? I trust you. When I'm going to have a baby, I'm a virgin. I trust you. My, my baby's going to be the savior of the world. I trust you. My, my baby is going to be slain for the sins of humanity. I trust you. My baby is going to be the king of kings and lord of lords. I trust you. You know what Joseph did when he heard it? From an angel during a dream, he woke up from the dream, and he said this in Matthew chapter 1, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. I encourage you to respond like Joseph. My wife, who we've never had sex with, is going to have the Savior of the world. I trust you. This baby is going to be slain for the sins of humanity, I trust you. He's going to be the good shepherd, I trust you. He's going to be the king of kings and lord of lords, I trust you. See, my encouragement to you today is you respond just like the two of them responded. Respond in awe in your worship to God today. Respond to altars that we have in the front of this auditorium, the one in North Platte and the one in the venue. Respond to these altars. These altars are for the hungry. The hungry that say, God... There's so much of your word that I believe, but I don't know why I believe it. Help me open up my eyes so I can see the power of your word that my faith would go deeper than it's ever gone before. 
Our, the altars are for the hungry that just want to come and say, Jesus, you are greater than I ever imagined. And I just come to worship you and kneel down before you and proclaim who you are. Use this time that we, that we call response to God. Use this as your moment to respond to the living King of kings, Lord of lords, good shepherd. He's here for you to seek him. He's here for you to find him today. Why don't you stand with me and let's worship. Lord, we are so in awe that this Christmas encounter is so much more than maybe what we ever imagined or thought, or that the meaning behind things is so much deeper than I've, than I've ever maybe considered before. Lord, I pray that that's happened today. I pray that there's a trigger inside of everyone's heart that hears this message that's just saying to themselves, wow, it, it, God, faith is so much bigger than what I thought. Believing in you, trusting in you is so, so much bigger than what I imagined. But Lord, I also pray that today, as pieces of a puzzle came together, and those four significant moments of the Christmas encounter become so real, that Lord, it would cause us to worship you with awe today. It would cause us to worship you with a hunger. It would cause us to worship you, God, with an excitement in our heart that, Lord, this isn't some fallacy. This isn't some just legend that was passed down from generation to generation that lord there was well thought out significance to all the old testament prophecies that we didn't even talk about to the significant moments that took place and all the prophetic things that were to come from that amazing day that we call christmas we trust you lord and we choose to worship you this day in jesus powerful name amen